Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dortch, the Hall of Famer. I'm Kevin Ingram, and it's great to have you with us. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, man. Um, been working on the book. Uh, you asked earlier uh, off the air how far we are, and we're about 55% of the way done and with a goal of getting it to the printer August 31st. That's two weeks earlier than, than we've ever gotten it out. Uh, for a lot of reasons, but the most important one was people wanted to get it earlier. So, and I couldn't disagree with that. I, I want to get it earlier. I want to get be done with it earlier. <laughs> uh, but yet not not sacrificing quality. Now, the one thing that, that obviously getting it out earlier means is we can't run schedules because uh, few, if any, teams will have schedules completed by the time we have to go to press. But I wanted to do that, and I also wanted to give customers a cheaper shipping option. Uh, Priority Mail had gone through the roof, honestly, and now we're uh, offering a media mail um, option. And we've had a soft opening for pre-orders, and I don't know how many we've sold, but 99% of them have taken that media mail option. Sure, It's a little – takes a little longer, but it's a whole lot cheaper. So – in order to do that and offset that extra shipping time, I wanted to get the book out early. And people just want it early. Uh, they really do. They want a chance to study it. And the good news for us, Kevin, is, as you know, uh, with the advent of June practice, even May practice, uh, well, year-round now mm-hmm. in, in limited capacities, college coaches can work with their kids it used to be so primitive in the old days. You'd talk to coach and they'd say, well, the kids say he's looking pretty good in pickup games. <laughs> like, they're so silly. Now, know, now that, they may know a little more about all, what's that, going that's on. That's how he had to get his information. Sure. And second of all, like he wasn't watching them himself. Yeah. Uh, that was probably the most broken law ever uh, in college athletics. But I think it's great because – a lot of the coaches I've talked to have had had six to eight weeks over the summer to evaluate their team and work with their team. So now we actually can start the blue ribbon process earlier. And I've edited, you know, I don't know, all close to 200 stories so far. And we've spoken to every coach, uh, but one uh, Buzz Williams at Texas A&M, but we always talk to one of his assistants. So, uh, uh, Buzz, Buzz dances by his own tune, and that's cool, you know. That's cool. But uh, we talk to the coaches. The, to- the coaches like to talk to us. And, we, you know, I really had some great conversations. I've, I've done uh, – I've talked to 25 coaches myself. Uh, in addition to uh, editing the book, I'm going to write 26 stories. And uh, had an e- interesting and unique conversation with every one of them, but uh, – you would ask me if there was any trends, and I definitely got that in, in talking to some of these guys. So uh, we'll hit on that, I'm sure, later in the show. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, I'm always interested and fascinated at how you go about putting all this together. And I know you have a team of writers around the country that, that help make all of it happen. And you're talking about talking about schedules and those things aren't going to be finalized. Some of them are still a few weeks away as we record this, but 
having a link to go to the websites to me that makes it just as easy and 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 you don't have to worry about being you know if if something changes they'll change it on their website more than likely and you don't have to worry about that but we're we're seeing some right. of the non-conference schedules get out there i know that the team i work for vanderbilt's going to open up against memphis uh the first week in november that's going to be really interesting those teams haven't Very played in game. a while so that that Ten- should potentially good game sure absolutely that, that should be a, a fun matchup at memorial gym to uh, open up the year and uh, I did ask you if you're hearing some common themes from coaches and folks you're talking to as you and the other writers uh, speak to the folks around the country and, you know, in an off season that's had so much about NIL and transfer portal, are there things that you're hearing from each one that may sound familiar, but maybe in different ways? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I, I actually single out um, five, let's see, one, two, three, four coaches in particular, that we're talking about the portal and uh, how they go about it. Now, one of them, Ed Conroy, who, whom you know, he was sure. an associate uh, coach at Vanderbilt last year, really wanted to get back to being a head coach. Uh, we thought we had him in the Western Carolina job last year. Uh, I don't know how they resisted his interview. I heard it went well, and he knows the Southern Conference like the back of his hand, but you know, his alma mater, the Citadel, opened back up. It's his second tour of duty there. And he was telling me that he has to make the Citadel a developmental program. They're not going to be able to compete for uh, transfers, although, oddly enough, uh, they can get grad transfers in there. You know why? Because they have no military uh, commitments. Sure. Like uh, the former coach, Doug Balkum told me one time that they don't have to carry a rifle. Uh, so, uh, and they can live off campus. So you get to go, you get to play basketball, get your masters, live in what was, uh, as Ed pointed out, travel and leisure magazine, uh, named Charleston, South Carolina, the number one city in the country. Uh, and you don't have a, a the, you know, the rat line and all the, the hassling, uh, that goes with being a cadet at, at a military school. So, uh, they've actually taken a few uh, grad transfers. But Ed was telling me that, uh, it, and it's interesting, the, the second time around, he, he, he was successful there. I, I think he won 18 games his last year, which is pretty great at the Citadel. And he told me that he's got a great story to tell, uh, not only his own journey, uh, but the players that he coached the first time he was there. They're now in their 30s. He says they're hitting their stride. Some are winding down playing careers overseas, own their own businesses. Some are lawyers or doctors. Uh, he said, when I coach here the first time, I can only talk about myself. And now he's got all these success stories of people that he sure. talked to. So he went in there really quickly. I remember Duggar Balkum used to lament that some of the kids he signed uh, never had any D1 offers. But uh, Ed went in there really quickly and signed a couple of kids that had multiple D1 offers. So, you know, if anybody could do it there, he can. He played on a team uh, for Coach Les Robinson, who's a mentor of mine uh, that was successful. And uh, so he knows how to get it done there. Talked to the same thing about Michael Schwartz, uh, my buddy who came from Tennessee. He was the associate coach, head coach there. He's at East Carolina now. Uh, they did utilize the portal, but even at that, they had kids with multiple years of eligibility. They signed several freshmen. Uh, his quote was, we want to have a program of development. Retention is just as important as recruiting. 
so he learned that from Rick Barnes, who I, I contend uh, is maybe the best coach at the country in the country in terms of wanting every player on his roster to get the very most out of his ability, uh, whether you're a walk-on or a five-star player. And so Michael and I had a great conversation about how he wants to do the same thing at really a school that, I mean, they've only been in the NCAA tournament twice. They've only retired one number in their history. Uh, it has zero tradition. Uh, so it's a tough whistle stop for your first head coaching job, but it's in a multi NCAA tournament bid league. So uh, he's going to do it the old fashioned way. I also talked to Bob Ritchie at Furman. Uh, I had to bring up the 4.1 seconds left and they lost the uh, bid to the NCAA tournament that we're leading uh, and, and kid from Chattanooga hit one as a bruiser. Yeah. We were watching that yeah, game in said, Tampa. That was crazy. Oh, he was, he said that was the toughest locker room he'd ever been in as a player or coach. He had a great quote. He said, it's definitely one of those things where you, where you go through it, you feel like you're one in a million. And then when you're four months on the other side of it, the amount of people who reached out or ran into me on the road or called and said, been there, been through it. Now watch what comes from it. And he says, for us, that game is either going to be a stepping stone or a stumbling block. And I believe it'll be a stepping stone. He too has uh, built a program of development, even gets kids to red shirt. And basically you'll like this because you covered and, uh, and were the radio play by play man for Belmont for 17 or 18 years. Coach Ritchie told me that he basically he said, we kind of didn't steal from Belmont, but we kind of did. And what that means basically is they are trying to sign kids who have from winning programs or have won, you know, their state's Mr. Basketball, oftentimes uh, Mr. Basketball winners just aren't heavily recruited by upper major schools. So they want guys with a proven history of success. They want guys that know how to shoot it. They'll teach them to play defense once they get on campus. Uh, so, again, a theme of development. Furman even, like I said, gets kids to redshirt. And then I had a really great conversation with uh, Jonas Hayes at Georgia State. I've been knowing him a while. And he was, of course, the associate head coach at Xavier. And after one game, that which they won in the NIT, Xavier fired head coach Travis Steele, which uh, this is so bizarre. I think they knew they had a chance to get Sean Miller and South Carolina was sniffing around. If they didn't hurry, they weren't going to get him. So Jonas has to take over the program in the NIT and they up and win the thing. Uh, so he was talking to me about that. And uh, he said, I, he says, I tell people all the time that blessings come in many shapes, forms, and sizes. But a lot of people miss out on their blessings because it didn't look like they thought it was going to look like. Yeah. And he actually was being talked about for the Georgia job. Mike White took that, actually wanted him to become his associate head coach. But he didn't look at that uh, as a blessing lost. He looked at Georgia State as a blessing found. And he had a really profound quote. First of all, he hired his brother Jarvis, his twin brother. They had been together their whole lives until Jarvis went to the NBA. And now they've both uh, been uh, college coaches. But he told me something that was really cool. Uh, those guys, those dudes are from Atlanta. They know everybody in the state. And he, he had a great quote. He said, we're, we're going to put our arms around the state, but not a fence around it. Saying you're going to try to put a fence around it gives 
creates the illusion we're going to keep somebody where they don't want to be. We're going to have a presence in every corner of the state. And if there's somebody there who wants to stay home and let their parents come and see them play, uh, he says we're going to be an option. Georgia State isn't a little engine that could. We're going to be a locomotive. All right. So uh, this guy is brimming with confidence and passion. Uh, same thing with Michael Schwartz. I wrote in my uh, story in Blue Ribbon that, you know, lightning bolts practically come from the guy. Uh <laughs> And I use the analogy uh, that that by the time Jonas Hayes won the NIT, he wasn't just hot. There was smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> you know, he was a commodity. So uh, they're smart enough to realize. And, you know, they, they realize the risk. They can be a developmental program, and then you lose a kid uh, to the transfer portal. But that's the way they're going to butter their bread. They're going to just try to – uh, find kids, coach them up, make them better, uh, have a system that you recruit to and, and try to win with that system and plug in kids. Uh, so it's going to be interesting how things change. Uh, the portal has been crazy. But if you look at it, uh, Jonas told me this, Jonas Hayes. They found a kid late in the game, uh, six-foot, kid from Western Illinois had been overlooked, but he can really shoot it. And I, I looked at, looked it up. He'd scored over 3000 points in high school in Minnesota. And he was second all time in the state in three pointers made. So yeah, this cat could fit in. And Jonas told me at that time there, and this was late June, 46% of the almost 2000 kids that entered the portal were still there. Wow. And now if you look at verbalcommits.com. And which does an excellent job of keeping track of portals. Uh, all these kids that are left, they're not going D1. They left D1, but they're going, you know, to a JUCO. They're going to D2, uh, NAIA, D3. Uh, a lot of programs I'd never even heard of or didn't know they had basketball. So there's some risk to it. If you leave a spot thinking the grass is greener and, you find out nobody wants you, you don't fit in, maybe that tells you something. I don't know. Uh, another trend I wanted to talk about um, is a ton of schools are reaching down a level uh, to recruit talent, especially at the Division II level. Uh, I know South Alabama, uh, Richie Riley, they took three D2 players. And the theory is, is that the portal now is bumping some kids from high school who might have gotten a college scholarship to a D1 school, is bumping them down to D2. Shoot, even Ole Miss took a guy, Miles Burns, from uh, Laurel of New Orleans. They won the D2 national title. And he's a player, man. Uh, he's got crazy stats. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, there's going to be a lot of changes, and that's one of them. I, I think – Guys will go to D2 because they have to, and then they'll make good there, and then they'll, they too will get to jump in the portal and, and maybe uh, move up a notch. It's fun to hear you talk about the Hayes brothers. I remember seeing those guys play for Georgia. It doesn't seem like it's been that long yeah. ago. And then I saw Jonas uh, with Vanderbilt. We actually played at Xavier in the NIT, and that game was for a spot in New York, and I saw him then. And you knew he was going to have a job somewhere soon. I believe at that point yeah. they they had either they were either closer they had already announced that Sean Miller was going to come back, 
And uh, but you knew Jonas was going to land on his feet somewhere. It's just a matter of finding the the uh, best landing spot for him. So certainly wish oh, no. him wish him all the best. Uh, seems like a great dude, and I always loved uh, watching him, really watching uh, him and his brother play for Georgia back in the day. Uh, a few more items to touch on. I guess it's never too early for our friend Joe Lenardi to release a bracket. Uh, he does that pretty much year round these days. Top seeds in the one he just put out a few days ago, Gonzaga, North Carolina, Houston, and Kentucky. The twos, I don't necessarily know the order, but I think it's close. Baylor, Kansas, UCLA, and Tennessee he has as a two seed. Uh, Big 10, wow. SEC, Big 12, ACC all have seven teams uh, in the latest bracket. Again, this is we're talking about middle of August here, but the last four buys, Iowa, Ohio State, Memphis, and St. John's, the last four in. Notre Dame, St. Mary's, Florida State, and Providence, the first four out. Rutgers, Iowa State, Missouri, and Seton Hall. So just a little idea of what Lenardi's thinking about as he uh, puts together a bracket uh, in the summertime here. And and maybe he can do it with a, a little more uh, info in, in, the, in the bank there as far as all the, the transfers, most of them having landed. You know what the roster is going to look like maybe a little more now, so uh, that, that helps in, in some regards. But I always think that's interesting reading just to see kind of where his head is uh, as far as putting together a bracket. Yeah, one of those teams that uh... – I seized on, as you mentioned, it was Missouri. I had a great conversation with Dennis Gates, the new Missouri coach. And, uh, man, they he hired an excellent staff. Uh, he went to Florida State to get Char- Charlton Young, who was uh, now his associate head coach. Uh, he had a big pool of money to go get him. I, I think I read where uh, CY is what they call Charlton Young making 600000 a year as an assistant. But Dennis wasn't afraid to go out and get head coaches. Charles, Charlton had been a head coach at Georgia Southern. He hired David Nutt, who had been a head coach uh, at two schools. Uh, even his analytics and scouting guy, Michael Fly, won 22 games at, at Florida Gulf Coast last year and got fired, but he's a head coach. So, yeah. you know, Dennis uh, – Really bright guy, graduated in three years at Cal, was part of 320 uh, game winners there under Ben Braun. And they went out and they, I'll tell you what, they dominated the portal. They signed a bunch of kids that are going to fit in with the way they like to play. They like to get after you defensively, and they're going to be able to do that. Uh, I, I really think, you know, the, the, we were talking about this in an earlier show. The SEC uh, had six openings in March for head coaches. And I've talked to all of them, but Lamont Paris, uh, another writer, is, is doing South Carolina this year. But I'll tell you, they've really uh, – Mississippi State, Chris Jans, did a great job of retention, uh, kept Mississippi State's probably better players, and also picked some, you know, some component parts out of the portal. Dennis Gates did a really good job with the portal and and kept, uh, you know, I think probably Missouri's best player from from last year. Uh, Matt McMahon lost everybody at LSU, but I'll tell you what, they've got the 14th ranked recruiting class, uh, according to the 247 Sports Composite. They did a heck of a job in the portal, and they signed really four really good freshmen too. And I I think Georgia did a good job of of not only – well, they signed one really good freshman, but they, they did an excellent job scouring the portal. So, it, you know, it might have looked like the SEC was going to take a drop down, but I think the fact that Joe's got Miss, 
Missouri and his radar. I, yeah, uh, I think they're going to really be good. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I, I wrote it like this. Uh, let me see how I finished it off. Uh, Gates and his staff put together such a solid recruiting class, I wrote. It wouldn't surprise us if in his first season he steered the Tigers into the NCAA tournament. All the ingredients are there. So uh, I don't know. I did not send this to to uh, Joe. Uh, I did give it to our buddy, uh, uh, Dane Bradshaw. He's actually uh, going to get to go to the Bahamas with Tennessee. So uh, we, we had lunch last week and we were talking about SEC schools and he said he didn't know much about Dennis Gates. And I said, well, that's going to change. And I just, from my <laughs> cell phone, I was able to send him a copy of the story. So good deal. Speaking of uh, teams in the Bahamas, it is travel season for a lot of programs. These uh, trips to exotic locations for games. Kentucky's in the Bahamas as we speak. Uh, we've seen Auburn playing over in Israel. Uh, Alabama went to Spain and France. Uh, Vanderbilt's playing in France and Italy. I'm a little jealous. I keep seeing all the trip pictures. And, yeah. and wishing I was over there. I saw them last week. Uh, I was over uh, just outside her office in Memorial Gym, and they were getting all the suitcases and everything ready. You were to, helping to make them the load trip. up, right? Yeah, I, I helped move some suitcases down the hall. I didn't do a whole lot to help, but uh, you should have checked yourself on board, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I would have liked to have made that when they went to Nice first, and they played a game there, and then they uh, one day they traveled from there. They went to Monaco, and then they went to Italy, and then they played uh, yesterday and won. I think they have one more game on the tour before they uh, come back home. But it looked like an awesome trip, uh, 10 days over there. And really, you go over and play the games, but the experience of being on those trips is what really makes it special. I, I've talked to lots of coaches over the years. I said, yeah, we want to get something out of playing the games. And the extra practice time is really valuable because you get some extra practices before you go. But uh, it's more about some team bonding and, and guys going places that they might not have ever been or ever get a chance to go to again. So I always think those trips are kind of cool. I think they're they're vital. Uh, you can they're they're so big that the NCAA uh, limits them. You can only go every four years. Right. To a man, every coach talks about the two things you just mentioned. First of all, the ten extra practices. Obviously, they get to work with their kids in May and June. July is recruiting. But if you're lucky enough to take a trip in August, you get those 10 days, and they're vital. used to be before you could work out your kids in the summer. It used to be really crucial. But the other thing is just a lot of times uh, schools will send as part of the traveling uh, party history professors who are fluent in whatever country and and well-versed that they're attending and he'll conduct trips and lectures. And I don't know, I I think maybe you can even get class credit uh, for it. And I think that's great. I, you you and I have talked about this a lot. Whenever we travel, we like to see things. And I remember one time my buddy, Mike Strange from the Knoxville paper and I, when I was still working for newspapers, we wanted to see the very spot where gold was discovered. And we had gone to Fresno for an NCAA regional we got in a car and that, that was back before, uh, you know, there's map, uh, Google maps, or you could pull out your iPhone. And I remember we were in this hilly vineyard country somewhere in California. And we stopped in a, in a triple a and Mike went in there and got some maps and we found our way there. And, and, uh, no, no sooner did we get there, like eight buses of, uh, of grade <laughs> school kids pulled up and, and there went our Shangri-La. Oh, man. Um, but I, but I asked this te- one of the teachers, and she said that 
the state of California requires uh, grade school students to take a California history class. And I think that's great. Absolutely. Uh, but we actually stood on the very first, uh, the site where they, uh, it's marked. We didn't have to guess where gold was discovered. So yeah, going on these overseas trips are valuable. Bonding is another thing. That's another thing that I, in talking to coaches, um, especially the new ones, they love it when a kid takes charge, uh, a vocal leader who gets his teammates, you know, to go into movies, to eat together, to go out to bowl. Uh, you know, coaches are limited in what they can do in the summer. So they have to rely on the quote unquote coach off the floor yeah. or coach on the floor. And a lot of times that's your point guard. Sometimes it's just a kid who takes it upon himself and, uh, there's no substitute for just liking your teammates and getting to know them and getting to know what they do and, and how they move. And uh, eventually you develop uh, a little bit of an unspoken type situation. And, and that's what every coach wants. And these trips really offer that possibility. Yeah, those trips are great. And I saw some of the itinerary for the, the practice schedule and things before the, the before the Vanderbilt team left. And they were actually having some classes on the cultures and, and language of the places they were going. So the players to have a little bit of an idea of what they were going to see and, and what to expect when they got over there. So I thought those things were neat. Good column by our friend Mike DeCourcy in the Sporting News about whether the automatic bids for non-power conferences could go away at some point. We've we spent some time on this on our show over the last few months. Uh, the Florida Gulf Coast president, Michael Martin, last week uh, suggested that might be the case. Of course, Florida Gulf Coast back in 2013 made a run to the Sweet 16 uh, from, from a 15 seed, pulled some upsets, and uh, got to the second weekend. We've talked about it a lot, Chris. The smaller teams and big upsets are what really make the tournament great. Of course, he points out that some of the hand-wringing about teams and bids, leagues only getting one bid, I should say, uh, isn't always warranted because there is a pretty good percentage of those conferences that do get at least something in the tournament. And then uh, power conferences wanting more spots for their teams. We talk some about expansion and whether that would actually work. And it's kind of an old argument. Are you getting the best 68 teams? Or are you getting the best few dozen teams and then the, the ones who qualify? And I really think the way they do it now is, is the way I want to see it. When you get to the deeper end of the tournament, you want to see the name brand programs uh, go at it and, and, and that sort of thing, especially in the Final Four. It's fun to see a Cinderella run. Saw St. Peter's last year do all that. You wouldn't have had that. Uh, if, it, if it was a tournament that only had power conference teams. So I, I hope they do keep the element of of the so-called mid-majors and smaller conference teams being a part of it because I think that's that's so much of the charm of the tournament. But if you have a chance to check that out, just go to uh, – Mike. you can find Mike DeCorsi on, on Twitter and uh, the columns on the Sporting News uh, website. So uh, check that out. But really good, yeah. kind of presents all the different sides of uh, the, yes. the bids for, for non-power conference teams. I almost always agree with my man. Uh, he sometimes will uh, venture into territory that, that it, where he loses me, but not much. And I agree with him. I went to two major schools who have done some serious damage in the NCAAs, George Mason and East Tennessee State. So I'm partial. Uh, but I think that's what makes it. And as Mike points out here, you know, St. Peter's made that run to the Elite Eight. And as he wrote, think a St. Peter's run doesn't matter? Okay, then explain why the Peacock's Elite Eight game against North Carolina was the most watched regional final game this year 
attracted the largest audience of any basketball game outside the Final Four, even outdrew multiple NBA Finals games. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, my buddy Jay Billis was right when he said, well, you'd watch an all-power conference tournament. I would, but what makes the NCAA great, and, and Mike, he's partial too, but he thinks it's the best sporting event outside the Super Bowl, and, uh, and, and that takes in a lot of ground because he's a soccer fan too. <laughs> but what, what makes it great is the chance that a, a team – uh, can pull a, an upset, you know, a UMBC taking out number one, Virginia. Uh, that didn't surprise me all that much. It, it, it didn't shock me. Let me put it that way. It didn't surprise me. And, and, and I think the way Virginia plays defense, pack line, and, and most of these teams that get in the NCAA from mid-majors, they, they have the one thing that everybody's got shooting. Yeah. And I thought that if, if uh, if any number one seed could be taken down, it would be Virginia. And, of course, they went on one at all the next year. I'm not being critical of Tony Bennett. I love him. He's a great coach, great program. But I thought, well, they're susceptible. If they're going to pack it in on you and a, and a team that just fires away from three is hot that day. You know, if you're going to really make it a point where that's how you want teams to try and beat you, well, th- that's what, how they got beat. So, but uh, I don't think they're going to change it. I don't think they should increase it. Uh, it, it more is less in that case. Yeah. I think, and Joe will tell you this, I think as they get down to, to those last few teams in the tournament, they are struggling not to find out, uh, you know, somebody, uh, I mean, to find somebody who deserves it, you know, who, who honestly needs to be there. And as far as these power conference schools, give me a break. You know, they're getting seven, eight in on the regular. Uh, that's a hefty payday for them. So uh, I think I like it the way it is. Uh, I'm not being an old curmudgeon, I promise. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a successful formula that captures the attention of small-town America, of, of major cities. I'd I'm not a wagering man, but I would bet it's the most wagered upon sports event. Uh, so, uh, yeah, office pools, all that stuff is great. And I always have a, I call it Professor D's great uh, bracket uh, buster party. And my, when my classes coincide with the first day of the tournament and it gets a little nutty. Well, last time I was able to do it, uh, a teacher from the next class sent someone over, a former student of mine, and told me we had to pipe down. <laughs> I, <laughs> said, can't, okay, I can't we imagine. Would. <laughs> uh, we said we would, and then we did. And then you didn't. <laughs> uh, we've reached the uh, the media portion of our uh, show here as we uh, get close to wrapping things up. TV deals have been all the talk. The Big Ten front and center sports business journal reported that the conference will end its longstanding partnership with ESPN after 2023. I didn't know this. ABC and ESPN have televised Big Ten games uh, since 1966. And, of course, football is such a huge huge part of that. I did not know it went back that far. But 
the Big Ten will keep Fox as its main partner, according to reports, and then have a new media rights agreement that's going to include CBS and NBC. It's going to be weird seeing a Big Ten game in the uh, 2.30 time slot on Saturday on CBS, but uh, kind of keep an eye on that. That's been a big story here in the last few weeks. Congratulations to our friend George Plaster, inducted last weekend in the uh, Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame. Well-deserved for a guy who... He's done a lot of play-by-play in his career. He was the voice of the Vanderbilt yeah. Commodores at one point. Uh, did games for Memphis State as well uh, back many years ago. But he was on the front end of Sports Talk's rise in Nashville and very influential in this city uh, where I live as Nashville has transitioned to a pro sports town. He's been a good friend of both of ours for many years. So congratulations to George oh, yeah. and the uh, other inductees last weekend. And I don't think we have spoken, Chris, since uh, your induction into the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame back in July it's a really nice ceremony. Uh, Mark McGee and Dan Flesser also went in, and, and they are very, very deserving as well. Rick Barnes came and spoke for a few minutes, and uh, there are plans in the works for, for making that whole thing more visible, which I, I think are very cool, and hopefully uh, as, as that gets closer, be able to share some of the details. But it was a really nice night. Love seeing you and your family and seeing you in that setting and, and made a, just a terrific speech. So uh, it was very cool to be a part of it, and I appreciated that a lot. Well, I, I appreciated having you and, and your family there. Uh, uh, it, it was a great night. I haven't stopped thinking about it since. Uh, George Plaster was there. Uh, uh, you know, that shows you what a great friend he is to both of us. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a great validation. And you're right. Any organization that, that wants to include me, they're going to get the, the full deal. Uh, so, uh I was the one who was was able to get Rick to come to our and be our guest speaker. They had never had anybody of his caliber to that. And Rick left thinking that, wow, this needs to be a much bigger deal. And it was a big deal. I mean, there was a full house, probably 80 people there. Uh, but I'm, I'll have more details later, but we're working on something. Okay, good deal. <laughs> and it, it includes your former boss and, and my and our mutual friend, Brad Willis who is now the executive director of the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, let's just say there's already an electronic uh, touch display to screen with the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame on it. And uh, I think it's going to get a nice makeover in, in, uh, as soon as we can get it done. Uh, I have the best ally to help me do that. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, looking forward to hearing more about that. Chris, as we uh, wrap things up here, Give again the info for folks who are thinking about ordering the Blue Ribbon Yearbook. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, BlueRibbonYearbook.com. Uh, you can go on there. Actually, we've got a soft, quote-unquote, soft opening now. Uh, we just put it up there to see who was paying attention, and it turns out we did it over two weeks ago, and we've sold books, uh, pre-ordered, pre-sold books every day since. So uh, you can order now, and we do have a cheaper shipping option Uh media mail in some cases it's a guy in california called and uh, we took his order and uh, so we got two shipping options for you one sixteen dollars and one six which would you rather have let me think about it get back to you believe it (laughs) i just couldn't believe how cheap much cheaper it was so yeah blue ribbon yearbook.com uh you can get it uh i've been editing and writing uh my my rear end off and i can tell you uh with uh in no uncertain terms that it's going to be a great one we've talked to coaches 
we've gotten great quotes, uh, great commentary and feedback. And uh, I didn't invent the book. Uh, I've just edited more of them than anybody. Chris Wallace gets credit for that. But I got to say, it, it, for, if you're looking for a comprehensive preview of the college basketball season, this is the stuff, man. Uh, I remember as a kid, and even in my adult years, I couldn't wait till September to get to the newsstand to get Street and Smiths. That was my my jam. And now, for me to edit and and publish something that's an, as anticipated as I anticipated Street and Smiths, it's a real honor. And uh, thanks thanks to everybody that supported us over the years. I couldn't have done it without you. Awesome. Looking forward to reading it and uh, just sitting down and, and digesting uh, as much as possible You'll get a preview, and using dude. it for my game prep and everything else. The good news for me is I have new progressive lenses so I can, I can watch a game and I can read blue ribbon all at the same time. You know, and, there you it, go, it, makes, man. it makes it a whole lot easier. I, I don't know how I feel about having progressive lenses, but uh, it, it was a nice, uh, you know, we, we all have to, uh, we all have to give in to the ravages of time. Yeah. My, my eye doctor told me that I had had a great run. So I, I wasn't sure how to take that. You did, man. You did. <laughs> Chris, uh, always a lot of fun. We'll catch up with you again here in a couple weeks. And I uh, really appreciate everybody uh, taking a, a minute or two and listening to our blue ribbon podcast. Uh, when we put those out usually every other week during the off season and every week during the college basketball season for Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you soon.